Hello, and welcome to our pre-concert chat for this Lincoln Symphony Orchestra concert. I'm Genevieve Randall with Nebraska Public Media, and I'm so glad to have our guests here on the chat for this concert that is called On the Double. So we're going to get to it. We're going to chat On the Double, and it's called On the Double because we are featuring a special double concerto with two of my guests here, both musicians and composers of this. So double composers and double performers. Hmm, interesting. Keenan Asma <laughs> and Leal Shocker will talk more about that piece coming up. Of course, music director Ed Palachik is with us as well. Nebraska Public Media is so proud to support LSO with these pre-concert chats. Welcome, everyone. So great to be here. It's, it's also great to meet Keenan and Lyle because I've, I, I haven't met them. This is my first time meeting them. This is terrific. Pleasure meeting you too, Ed. Looking forward to this. Yes, likewise. Well, this is just going to be beautiful. Um, you guys, uh, Kenan and Leal, are centered in between two standard pieces of classical repertoire here with Beethoven and Sibelius on either <laughs> side. You've, right. you've got this pedestal of Beethoven and Sibelius holding you up. You two premiered this very work, though, already in Nebraska on the Nebraska Crossroads Music Festival. I know you had a chance to play it in Omaha, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you premiered it in New York as well. Not yet, actually. New York will happen the week after uh, Lincoln. October okay, 20th. I love that you've gotten to play it twice in Lincoln, Nebraska before playing it in New York, I have to admit. <laughs> as the as thing is, is that that the, the, the I, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but the version that you did did uh, in in Lincoln or in Nebraska was the chamber uh, music version, correct? This is now the this is going to be the premiere, I, be, I believe. Of this the, is of this is going to be the real premiere, the I think, the official premiere with the with a big orchestra with a conductor because the version we did it. I had to step in for you, Ed, basically. <laughs> I was uh, trying to play my part, a new a piece that we just, you know, written, and trying also to learn every, uh, you know, buddy's part and conducting the whole thing. Right. No, right. it was very challenging, to say the least. Oh, yes. So this is the official premiere happening and, in Lincoln. And it was also really a work in progress version. So we did a lot of revision after finishing that, mm -hmm. that performance. So that is exactly what I was going to ask you, Leal, is what what you learned from those previous performances, how that kind of helped you workshop it. And I I mean, what I think is interesting is that a lot of people, let's say it's it's your house that you're going to present to someone. You want to like clean it first and then present it. But you guys kind of presented the room <laughs> before cleaning it <laughs> in a way. You know what I mean? The furniture was there, but then you like moved them a little, the couch. Oh, this will look better if the couch goes this way. What, what's that process like for you as composers? Um, so, I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. We're very used to having, you know, the result the end result on stage. Um, but it's more often than not, it's actually very, very interesting as well to see the process of how something happens, especially when in a piece like this, um, well, it is the first time we hear it. And um, so much matures from the first to the second performance, inevitably. Um, and it's very unfortunate because many times the first performance is often the only performance you hear of a premiere. I had a friend that jokingly once saying that he wanted to do a festival of second performances for all the pieces who 
got, got commissioned and never got played again. So um, we were very lucky in that sense because we had that first go. Uh, we had those few days of workshopping and we didn't have a conductor, which meant we were forced to know it really intrinsically in all of its details. And uh, also um, control a little, little bit the um, moments that are usually going to happen in performance um, once and never happen again, such as the improvisatory moments. Um, it's, I think it's a fine balance between preserving the freshness of those improvisatory moments, but also being informed enough um, to really let these moments fly, take off. Um, so now we know exactly how these uh, are going to shape up. There are some moments where we thought, okay, these improvisations need to, need to kind of be a, a more controlled environment. And this is what we addressed in the revision. Some others where it's really um, uh, an open space, a terra incognita, and it's, it, it's a lot of fun. But now these moments happen in contrast to one another. Um, there are some uh, little moments um, where we use microtonality uh, that we kind of experimented with it uh, in the rehearsals and that we again addressed in revision in a slightly different way. Uh, so that was really the opportunity to kind of really polish that piece. Um, it is still going to be with the, fr the freshness of a premiere because it is a premiere. It's going to be a full-scale orchestra and with the Lincoln Symphony, and we're really looking forward to that. But we feel so uh, so equipped after this this uh, this work in progress performance. Let's call it with Crossroads. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because this is not the only um, piece that either of you have participated in where there's an improvisatory element to it as well as what's, you know, written on the page. So um, I think it would be really cool to think about as the audience is watching, I think it's hard for people to understand that element. For you, Ed, what is the orchestra looking at and how much do they already know what's going on? I'm thinking as a player in an orchestra, if I'm playing for a piano concerto, I expect the soloist to play certain things in the Rachmaninoff piano concerto two or whatever. How does it work for you and the orchestra when Kenan and Lyall are improvising sometimes? Well, it, it, you know, <laughs> the, 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 I could talk about this for hours actually, because um, I love, I mean, I really truly love music of the Renaissance, medieval Renaissance and Baroque music. And um, as a keyboard player myself, primarily, um, I love when I do Baroque music. In fact, in, in just several weeks now, we're doing a Baroque program. I'll be conducting from the harpsichord, which means that I read this figured bass. I have a line that's that's kind of that is there uh, with a lot of numbers underneath it, and I can then do what I want with whatever those numbers dictate to me. Um, and so the the idea of improvisation in my mind is something that is. Uh, not just spontaneous and, and momentous, meaning at, the, at, at a specific or that particular moment in time that's here and gone uh, immediately. But there is, and you can add, I'm sure you can ask any musician that, this, that in imp improvising, you, you automatically give yourself some kind of structure. You have to, or 
it becomes somewhat nonsense. You you ramble and and you don't. So you have you have I in whatever way that is. It could be harmonic. It could be uh, rhythmic. It could be uh, 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 in terms of, of, of how long and and how many how you phrase it and all that kind of stuff. In the score, and this is this is what kind of fascinates me. Um, uh, Keenan and Leal may write something like um, five or six notes, just no stems or anything, just just pitches that go beep 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 in a measure, and they'll say uh, you know that that those are the five notes or six notes, whatever it is that they are going to use to improvise. I have no idea what they're going to do with in terms of um, uh, rhythm or you know how how they're going to do that if they're going to repeat them if that that's that's for the kind of the spur of the moment aspect of improvisation, but then they are constricted by the fact that I'm doing this, <laughs> and the rest you know, rest of the orchestra is following this beat right, so that we have to then somehow coordinate that. And um, so I, I find the same kind of fascination as I do in Baroque music, as I do with something like this. Um, although um, before uh, we came on for this pre-concert chat, I did ask both of them that I would like to have a, a meeting with them before my first rehearsal with the <laughs> orchestra so that I can explain it as, as we go. And, and we do pre-record these so that people who are gonna be coming to the concert um, whenever they have, whenever it goes up on on, on the site, um, can can access it and find out what what's really going on in the concert. And I this is why I love this uh, uh, way of doing the, the pre concert chats because it gives a lot of, uh, uh, of information pre pre concert. Yeah, if you're if you're watching this, you might be watching this the night of, or you might be watching this days ahead of, of yeah. the concert. So that's fantastic. It's a really good comparison, I think, to that structure of Baroque music and that expectation that there is, a, um, I guess I'm going back to my house decor metaphor, there is a room that you're working in, but the furniture might be in different places at, at, at some point. Right. So I think the process is interesting for the audience to watch for folks who go to the concert, but there's also a very personal aspect and a storyline, which is part of the structure that the two of you have built into this piece. And I'd like to talk about that. And I want to start with something that I just pulled from the program notes, which is the creation and nurturing of life, even in the face of adversities. And I thought that was interesting to read about um, tied to this piece, because I mean, first of all, it's called dawning. And I think we can tie all kinds of metaphor to that with the phrase I just read. But when I first saw you guys do the chamber version of this piece, um, there were a lot of stories tied to lullabies that you sing to your son. And all of that is in the program notes as well, which people can certainly read. Talk to me about the whole nurturing and creation in the face of adversities. I think, I think you know, the moment you, you, you hear the word nurturing, uh, I think the word that you know the word motherhood comes to mind. So I'm gonna <laughs> give the microphone oh, to the mother God. in the house. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can give you my my two cents. Uh, just I was gonna say, Keen, and that was well done. That, that I, I know. I know. <laughs> you know, it's just witnessing this. I'm 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 talking about here both 
you know, as a co-composer of this work, but also as a witness of this fabulous motherhood uh, thing, you know? Uh, we we fathers like to claim equal uh, credit, but we can't really. And uh, and I would like to you know let Lear talk about this. I just want to say a couple of things actually before we move on to this topic, which I love to talk about, just about the improvisation aspect, um, uh, just to give more information for people who are again watching this. Uh, improvisation is not foreign, like Ed said, it's not foreign to classical music. Improvisation has been an integral part of classical music making throughout history, you know. Exactly. It disappeared for a little, little bit when other composers started to write the composed part, such as the cadenzas in concertos. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but so we're trying to celebrate music in this piece, walking this very fine line between the composed and the improvised. And also what you mentioned, Ed, is, is absolutely on point where you know you have to have a structure that you you want to work within work with and within uh, i think right. uh, i'd like to say uh, and it's about uh really for the audience not knowing which part is improvised which one is composed <laughs> would be a good success because for me some of the best music that is composed is one that sounds spontaneous as if it is improvised amen and some of the best improvisations are one that sound super structured as if they were composed like years ahead. So this is just like my two cents on the whole improvisation aspect. And vice versa, by the way. I mean, that's that's that, that's the beauty of that. And I remember one of my teachers when I was in Philadelphia, Clement Petrillo used to say to me, Edward, you should always make your performances sound as if they are improvised. That is all impromptu that there's nothing that's holding you back, that's restraining you, but that, that flows freely. And, and it's that, I guess it's that old adage that, you know, um, structure, discipline, whatever you want to call that, sets us free, makes us free. And, and it's true. And actually, I also wanted to talk about the, 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 the idea or the concept of the performer composer itself. That also was part of uh, classical music history for as long as we remember, and not just in the Baroque um, uh, period and medieval period, but really going later to Bach and then even later to Chopin at least. So that tradition has always been uh, part uh, of the classical music uh, history, even though now we tend to really um, um, talk about these two different fields as if they are not, you know, as if they're <laughs> They're not, not related, right. right? Yes, absolutely. But in fact, they've always been. And um, in a way, I think there is a, a true comeback to that, not just obviously our practice, but there, there is a, I, I witness a general comeback to, to that art form. Right. And inevitably with it, um, the practice and, um, and appreciation of improvisation is invited back into the equation as well. So I think it's, 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 it's interesting to think of dawning as part of this of this wave of revival of this way of uh, approaching and composing what, and performing what is less common however is to have two people yeah, well, doing nice. that at the same time yeah. oh, it's <laughs> certainly less common to have two composers performers <laughs> writing a new piece. But, right. but i think that brings us back to your question uh, uh, you know about the title of the piece and what the yeah. piece is about because we have a unique situation that allows us to mix 
the personal and the professional to the maximum you know people always give give us advice like you should never mix work with a you know with the personal life but with this piece i think we went all in we're doing absolutely the opposite here's a piece about our life as parents about the creation of a new soul and again i'm gonna pass the microphone back to for this Thank you. But I, um, I just wanted to to share um, in my words, maybe, but our our personal as uh, experience as parents and how much it, it has shaped uh, the idea for this piece. Um, I would say that in general, motherhood has been a huge preoccupation, um, uh, intellectual preoccupation of mine in, in my composing for the past two years. And Donnie is no. Um, is no exception. Um, it's it's just interesting because it um, for us parenthood happened uh, during the pandemic, and this shift of identity, um, and uh, this shift of perspective, but also this um, sometimes even I would want to say this this physical this hormonal shift all happened during a very difficult time in the world, where we saw so much happen. Uh, in terms of, well, of course, the pandemic, but also politically, um, the uprisings all around the world, which are still happening until, you know, it's still happening today. We are speaking um, today where there's um, so much turmoil happening as we speak. And thinking of this constant loss of life and looking at a horizon that is perhaps not the brightest right now, we are not uh, or um, we are not looking at the most rosy of futures. I don't know that there's a point in humanity where anyone confidently said that we are looking at a, at a future full of possibilities. But I think it's especially important now because we are at the cusp of an incredible environmental disaster, uh, an incredible surge of human catastrophes, yet we still decide that we are going to bring a precious innocent life into the world. And what does that mean? Um, how does that, um, um, what does that include uh, to us as, as people with that responsibility of, of nurturing life in such a desolate uh, uh, landscape? Um, so I've been really uh, preoccupied with this idea um, a lot. And we, I think we always come to that conclusion that there is no way for us to to face the adversity of the world but with more with more love it doesn't always mean more birth but birth is one of them and new life is one of them and uh to 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 kind of try to fix everything that's wrong with this uh, blank page that a child is um trying to put them on a different path and try to gear them toward a different uh, way of doing things fills us with so much hope and so much love and also so much fear. Um, but it's just a very heightened uh, level of alertness and awareness you come to as a human being when you are doing that, when you are in the process of doing that. And um, and I I think that we couldn't we couldn't but like stop and and ponder on that emotionally, musically, intellectually. Yeah. I think that uh, um, you hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, if we have any hope 
whatsoever for all of the negativity that does exist in the world and that goes on and that continues to bring us down um, <clears throat> the struggles that we have to face the, the real hope is is in our offspring our children um, that's where um, the future lies um, it always has been that way and it always will be that way and it depends on <clears throat> not just the biology but the nurturing of, 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 of those that we bring into this world um, that is critical as to how we're gonna actually survive or whether or not we do survive. Um, that's why I think it's so beautiful. I do wanna point out that the second movement of this double concerto is called oxytocin. And I, 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 I got such a kick out of that because um, <laughs> the, 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 the tempo marking and the, and the, the the feeling of what I'm, I'm supposed to feel here is forward motion and fiery. And I'm thinking, whoa, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this will be fun. <laughs> I love it's it. It's a moment for I the orchestra, it. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, I we could talk about this forever i think there's just so much heart and love and thought that the two of you put into your music not only when you're playing but obviously as you're composing which as we've just talked about can be one and the same at this point right. Right. <laughs> with, right. with a double concerto like dawning um we've left like literally 20 seconds for us to mention that the lincoln youth symphony and clark potter get to participate in this concert that there is an amazing overture by Beethoven for those of you who are watching this ahead of time, ahead of the- By concert. the way, that's a side-by-side. -side, so that's part of the double, a double orchestra. Okay. Double orchestra, side-by-side. Right. Those, those young musicians of the Lincoln Youth Symphony getting to sit side by side with uh, the members of Lincoln Symphony Orchestra, such a huge experience for them, which is great. I love that this is also the Leonore Overture number three, because talk about revisions and struggling. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> But I probably should have done number two, but that's okay. We'll, we'll do number three. <laughs> okay. yeah. so, and Sibelius yeah. is the second symphony, so it's the yes. it's, it's double. It's oh, any, there's just twos all through this. Hey, I'm telling you, duo, duo, duo. Doubles everywhere. I'm getting, I'm getting the theme. I'm getting the theme with my. Oh, I'm four eyes though. I didn't fit in. <laughs> with my glasses Double all right eyes. so Double yes eyes. if folks are watching ahead of time the concert is at the lead center it is friday october 20th at 7 30 p.m and um, Beethoven, a double concerto with my guests, Kenan Asma and Leal Shakar called Dawning and then the Sibelius Symphony Number no. 2. What a huge concert. Oh my gosh. Ed, you guys have fun with the symphony for sure. And Kenan and Leal, welcome back to Nebraska. And I'm so glad that you're going to play this concert with Lincoln Symphony Orchestra. Thanks to all of you for joining us for this pre-concert chat. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank what, you. A, what a pleasure. What a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.